Psalm 1 is the word of God for us today. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Will you pray with me? Father, I plead with you, God, to let us see this path a blessing declared in your word and to have it impact us in such a way that we would become a different kind of people. Right now, on a holiday weekend, Sunday, when nothing feels like it's going exactly the way that everyone plans their lives, everything's cluttered and, and full I pray, God, that you would do something mighty and sacred and glorious in your people. There's absolutely no excuse for us, Lord, not to expect to meet you, hear from you in your word, and repent of sin and grow in encouragement and all the rest. So God, do something beautiful and mighty. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Can you believe that we have finally made it to the end of 2019? Does it feel like it just came upon us? It's the end of the year. It is the end of the 20-teens. Those of you who are absolute, like, like, you know the people that will correct your grammar no matter what you do? If you're one of those people, you'll recognize that it's not the end of the decade. The decade ends at the end of 2020, and 2021 starts the new decade. But you know what? We're going to the 20s, doggone it. And it feels like it's a major change. And at times like this, two things tend to happen in the lives of people. Many people will wax nostalgic over the the decade that is before, over the year that is before, right? How many of you are very nostalgic at a time like this? You want to look at all the list of who died in the last 10 years, right? And realize all all the musicians you used to think were young and cool or not. Or the other thing is people at times like this look forward in the, into the year to come, right? How many of you are very forward-thinking people? Yes, a couple of you are like, I'm looking to the next. I'm looking at what's coming, right? Well, when you look to the year to come, there are always plans and ideas, right? There are, there are, there are resolutions. Are you resolution people? There are commitments that, that are made. People make commitments, like wives make commitments that their husbands will lose weight. 
There are their commitments to, to exercise, to, to read more books, to read better books, to spend more time with family. And in all the resolutions that people make, right, the whole concept behind that is we want to begin with an eye toward, in the coming year, things being better. Would you guys like a better 2020 than you had in 2019? Three of you would. I am so glad. The rest of you are ready to go down. This whole side of the room is ready to go downhill. But there you go. Then participate. (laughs) All right. We want to start with hope, right? We want to begin with a trajectory that leads us toward blessing. Would you like blessing in 2020? Yes, right? So what if I could tell you that I really could offer you the blessing of God, the the promised, guaranteed blessing of God? Would you be in on that? Would you be for that? Yeah, right? We want this. We want the blessing, the goodness, the grace, the mercy of God. We want to be happy and not sad. We want to be prosperous and not failing. We want to be loved, not hated, included, not left out. We want to experience the best God has to offer. And at the beginning of the Psalms, this beautiful songbook of ancient Israel, we find a psalm that teaches us exactly how to find the blessing of God. Now, let me be careful so that nobody's confused. If you don't know us, you might think you've just walked into a prosperity gospel church. You have not. The Bible does not promise you health, wealth, and financial prosperity just because you're a good little boy or a good little girl. But the Bible does promise us that it will show us how to please the Lord and in pleasing the Lord, receive His favor. And since that is a thing we want, the the blessing of God, the favor of God, let's look at Psalm 1 to see how you and I can receive the blessing of God in the year to come. Now, the psalm here is two major points in contrast. Verses 1 through 3 describe the blessed man. Verses 4 and 5 describe the opposite man. And verse 6 lets us know that God is in charge of it all. Now, if you're in Jesus Christ, if you're a saved person, a genuinely saved person, let me tell you something. I'll let you in a little secret. You are blessed. Have you thought about that? If you're saved, you're blessed. You already are under the favor of God. And if you are in Christ, you know what else is true? You will do the things that this psalm is about to describe you should do. They lead to your being blessed. So on the one hand, Christian, you already have the blessing of God and cannot earn it by anything you do. On the other hand, the fact that you do have the blessing of God will lead you to behave in a new way that will result in your being blessed. So being blessed leads to being blessed. That's good, right? So before we get started in our text this morning, you've got to ask yourself this simple question. Are you already among the blessed? This is, a, this is a personal, you think about you and Jesus question here. Have you been rescued from your sin by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Has God made you his child because of the finished work of Jesus? Now, if you fully trust in Jesus, if you fully trust in the finished work of Jesus for salvation, you are blessed. If you're not sure, And there's some of you who aren't sure. 
If you don't know where you stand before God, or maybe if your hope is not in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation, you're not yet among the blessed. So, as we get started, know who you are. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, know that this passage offers you a warning and an invitation. You're going to see the danger that those who are not under God's blessing they, that, that they face. And realize that the warning that you will see will include your invitation to come to Jesus and turn from sin and receive for yourself the mercy of God. You can't earn this blessing. You can't work your way into God's favor. But you know what you can do? You can let go of thinking you're Lord of your own life. You can entrust yourself and your soul to God's care. You can believe in Jesus and he will help you to, de to desire the things that will put you in the blessed category. And if you're a believer, you can take note in this psalm that of attitudes and actions that will help you please God and better experience God's blessing. And... Christians, you, you and I will see attitudes and actions we need to be aware of, to watch out for. You didn't earn your way to God. You can't do things to make God love you more. Let me just stop and say that to you again, Christian. Are you a Christian? You can't make God love you more. Are you a Christian? You can't make God love you less. The love of God is yours in the person of Jesus Christ, fully, eternally granted. But this psalm will help you see the way to be blessed, which is the way to be most ultimately happy, satisfied in the person and the glory of God. So I'll give you some points. I've used these points in this psalm before, so they're not going to be brand new. If you've studied this with me before, you'll know these, but it's okay. Watch out for the influence of evil. There's point number one. Watch out for the influence of evil. Verse one says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So the psalm opens, the book of Psalms open, and we see an opening with a negative statement. If you want to be blessed, the psalm wants you to see that there are things that you don't do. There are dangerous ways of thinking and behaving that we must avoid. And the first verse shows us what to avoid with three lines of parallel Hebrew poetry. Now, it may not seem like poetry to you. Like, if, if your idea of poetry is the little rhymey things on Hallmark cards, this won't look like that. But this is a classic example of biblical poetry. Now, how do you know in the Bible if you're reading poetry? Well, one of the ways to notice it, if you look at your Bible there, do you notice that the lines of the text on the page are a little bit shorter? They don't fill the whole column. They don't go, they're not justified side to side, but they're little choppy lines. When you see little choppy lines, maybe with a little indentation there, and depending on who publishes your copy of the scriptures, that will give you a hint that you may be reading poetry or a song of some sort. The other way that you can identify that you're reading poetry from in the Bible, whether it's Hebrew or whether it's even in the New Testament in Greek, is you will feel like something is being 
either repeated, said the same way, kind of, maybe different words, but the same concept is being repeated and repeated, or you will see that very balanced lines are showing things in contrast to one another. See, in Hebrew, if you wrote poetry, you didn't make it rhyme. You didn't have a particular rhythm or meter, per se, but Hebrew poets and musicians love to use other things, parallelisms, so that they could make something feel sort of bigger and deeper and more emotional. So if you read lines that say the same thing basically in multiple ways, a scholar who studies the thing might call it synonymous parallelism. Said the same thing in the same way. Words that are synonyms are saying the same thing. Sometimes you'll see two lines that are very opposite, but they feel very similar that's antithetic parallelism. So, like, think about Proverbs. You, you guys, how many of you are Proverbs readers? You ever notice how many opposites are in Proverbs? Proverbs 1 says, 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Do you hear the opposites there? Really balanced, similar thought, but the good side, the bad side, right? A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish grief to his mother, right? Opposites. Those are antithetical parallels. But what we see in verse 1 of Psalm 1 is a synonymous parallel. Look at the lines. Walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You see how similar those lines are? How they all three feel like they're pointing you in the same direction? That's poetry. Now, how many of you expected a Hebrew poetry lesson today? How many think, man, I wish we could do a lot more of that? <laughs> Don't say it. Okay, so even if Hebrew poetry doesn't like ring your bell, that kind of study, what should you learn from this? A blessed person... A spiritually happy person is a person who avoids being influenced by the thinking and the actions of the wicked. And that's why I would say that the first point is watch out for the influence of evil. The three parallel that we have here, the lines we have here, they show us the tendencies we have or the ways that we can be influenced by things that dishonor God. So look at the first line. Walking in the counsel of the wicked. The idea that comes to mind here is that the person is blessed who does not allow himself or herself to be unduly influenced by the thinking of the world around us. We live in a world, friends, that is constantly trying to squeeze us into the mold of its ways of thinking whether it is a person who's outwardly saying, I hate Christianity and want to make you all feel dumb, or whether it's somebody who just has given into an unbiblical mindset. But there are constantly people around us speaking or writing arguments that try to make us compromise the way we think when it comes to the word and the ways of the Lord. Does that make sense? I, I don't have this in my notes, so it's always dangerous when I illustrate not from my notes, so be gracious to me, okay? How many of you grew up loving Disney princess movies? 
okay? How many of the Disney princess movies show you an intact family with a strong, helpful, wise father? And how many of them show you that dad is an idiot that the daughter has to get over? A whole lot of them will show you something wrong, that that the idea of, of obeying your parents as a child is really not the way, but your parents need to let you be you no matter what. Is that biblical thinking? Or is that worldly thinking? But boy, it's entertaining, isn't it? It has pretty songs and singing animals. All right. We've got to watch out not to let ourselves walk under the counsel of the wicked. The second line is standing in the way of sinners. It's a little more intense than walking in the counsel of the wicked. It's as if the thing to avoid here is to avoid allowing yourself to be constantly present in the thinking of those whose thinking is not that of the Lord. And then the last line of what to avoid is sitting in the seat of scoffers. Scoffers laugh at and make fun of the things of the Lord all through the Bible, right? The scoffer may not even make an argument. The scoffer doesn't have necessarily a strong argument. They just point and tell you you're stupid. And that is becoming more and more prominent with every passing year. Have you noticed, friends, how hard it is to have a simple, logical conversation about the faith with someone who opposes it? Because they pretty much are coming to you with an understanding that everybody who knows anything knows that this is not the way it is. Much of the world around us has re-envisioned, for their own definition, God. They argue that God is not a person, but a force, a feeling, a might. They, they argue that, that sin doesn't exist or that judgment is not going to come or that man is basically good or that what feels right for you is right for you so long as you don't hurt another person to the best of your definition of hurt and the best of your definition of person. They, they would argue that there is no higher standard than what pleases you, that, that what you choose to believe about your own body, gender, sexuality, marriage, whatever. It's just your business. And on and on, that kind of thinking just rolls over us in society. And that, those kind of thoughts come at us, not just from somebody you know, at a lectern giving a lecture to you. Those thoughts come to us from all over society. Are those thoughts not coming at you in almost any form of entertainment you watch? Aren't they coming at you in all the forms of secular philosophy you might hear? They're in the news media that you might read or see on TV. And sadly, these thoughts that are not biblical thoughts, these definitions, these redefinitions of reality are often present in, well, what people call churches but may not be preaching the word. But God says that you and I are blessed when we avoid the world's counsel. So how in the world do you avoid the influences of that which dishonors God? Now, this is the point when I was going to recommend that we all pool our money and build a big compound in South America, but I don't have enough money, so we're just going to stay in the world that God's placed us in, okay? But there are ways that we can avoid what dishonors God still. 
And one way for you to do this might be for you to think of how can I limit my intake of the world's lies? So examine where does your mind go when you want to give your mind a break? Think about it for a second. What do you do when it's been a long day and you need to stop thinking hard? What do you do? For many of you, it involves turning on a device with a picture and sound. Doesn't it? How much time do you allow your mind to be just soaked in the philosophy of the world? Find a way, dear Christian friend, to put a leash on that. Don't waste your life allowing your mind to be pickled in, bombarded by the thoughts and lifestyles of a sinful, godless world that hates the Lord who created it. Now, can I also give you a caution to be careful with what I just said to you? Isn't that weird if I preach something at you and then tell you, but watch out for what I just said? You should absolutely be careful with your mental intake. You most certainly should keep your mind from things that would corrupt it. But it's not a way, there's not a way that I can tell you exactly what I think you should do. It's not my job, it's not my place to tell you what books you're allowed to read and what books you're not allowed to read. It's not my place to tell you what kind, what rating of movie you're allowed to watch and what one you're not. Pornography is always evil all the time, but, you know, there are different kinds of movies that I might not approve of that you might not be troubled by. Vice versa, right? What kind of play can you attend? What kind of music can you listen to? I'm not here to tell you what music you're allowed to listen to, except for that new country is always bad. <laughs> You've got to go back at least 20 years before country music is okay. Whew, it's rough. I would be out of line if I tried to prescribe for you my stance on entertainment, right? It would be wrong for me to do that, just like it would be wrong for me to tell you what football team to root for, though I know. I think if you really know Jesus, you can be wise. Seek the guidance of the Spirit of God and the Word of God as you make wise and godly choices. And friends, examine what you do. Examine what thoughts and philosophies are rolling over your brain hour after hour, day after day. Be careful that you're not spending so much time soaking your life under the thinking of the world so that your mind is shaped more to look like the world than like the Savior. Does that make sense? Now, the other thing is that's really cool here. There's a whole, I mean, there's other people around you here, right? There's the folks that are sitting close to Kate with her blanket. There are wise people around you. Don't you think if you are setting standards for how you spend your time, how you entertain yourself, don't you think it'd be wise for you to talk with other wise believers about your choices and just say, hey, what do you think about this? Is this a good idea? 
Is this a good way to spend my time? What should I be being careful of? I enjoy this. Can you help me know if there's things I could watch out for? Maybe, maybe you will run into a person in the church who disagrees with your choices of entertainment. But you know what? Maybe that person will have a valid point on what you need to consider. Have you ever noticed none of us is good at making good decisions all the time? Have you noticed that your decisions are not always good? Then why do you trust you? Right? We are stronger when we work together and talk to each other and learn from each other. No, we're not all going to agree, and there are going to be times that we disagree very strongly. But if we are gracious with one another, if we are kind to one another, we can find that God will help us to grow and sharpen each other even as we open our lives and our ways of thinking to each other under the word. So Christians, again, listen to this text and avoid the influence of evil and become a person who is blessed because the Bible says the man is blessed who doesn't let himself be just soaked in the evil thinking of the world. Second point. Still with me? Love God's word is number two. Love God's word. Verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Have you ever noticed that it's almost impossible simply to stop doing a thing? Right? Especially when it comes to your thought life. For example, you know my favorite example, right? Don't think about a pink elephant. How'd you do? Humans are not good at simply stopping something. We're not good at clearing our minds to blankness. In fact, that's not a Christian practice, to empty your mind. That's a weird Buddhist thing. There has to be something else to help you and me to avoid the ways of the wicked without just telling people, stop it. And the key is replacement. The key is always replacement when you're dealing with sins of thought. Think, try this right now. Think about the Grand Canyon. Can you do it? Okay, what picture is in your mind? Hopefully it's not the Grand Canyon with a pink elephant in it, but that does happen. Typically, when we focus our minds on something actively to picture, to look at, to meditate upon, we can then get rid of the thing we're trying to avoid. And that principle of replacing that which is evil with the thing that is good is exactly what God is telling us in verse 2 of the psalm. We just heard that the man is blessed who avoids the ways and the supposed wisdom of the evil world. But what do we do instead? The answer is that you and I need to love the word of God instead of the thinking of the world and the psalmist tells us that the person who is blessed avoids evil thinking and instead delights in the law of the lord now what how do you personally react when you hear the idea of loving law how many of you are like that is my thing a couple of you are that's for you right how many of you are like law Mm, mm, feels a little rulesy See, the fact that none of you are answering me tells me a bunch of you are liars. A bunch of liars in this room. It could sound like the person who avoids evil 
is the person who loves rules and regulations. It could sound like, if you're not careful, that we could become a very legalistic group really quickly, doesn't it? Any of you get that feeling with that? Delight in the law? Mm. I don't know. But see, that's not what's going on here, first of all. Let me help you with that. The word for law is the Hebrew word Torah. You guys know that word, right? And Torah means more than law. That's one of the problems with uh, translating and not getting everything as clearly as we should. It means more than law in the sense of rules and regulations. Torah means, well, first of all, it means the books of the Bible that were called the books of the law, right? Torah means teaching. And the first five books of the Bible, the books written by Moses, are referred to as the Torah. And the psalmist who wrote this psalm that may have been the only scripture that was in front of him or, or close to it, probably referred to the entirety of Holy Scripture in general with the word Torah, with the word law. Let me ask you, are the books of Moses all laws and rules all the time? No. Have you, have you ever read, read Genesis? How many laws are in Genesis? I, I can't think of hardly any, right? Maybe a couple? Is Exodus all law? We just studied the book of Exodus. We had a bunch of rules at the end. We got a bunch of rules about how to build the tabernacle, but there's not that many laws that were given before chapter 20 of Exodus. The Passover regulations are there, I guess, right? Now, the book of Leviticus, y'all, that's some law. There is law all through Leviticus. And by the way, Leviticus is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. If you are doing your Bible in a year reading and you get in about, say, the month of February or whatever and you hit Leviticus, don't let it get you. It's beautiful because it shows you the holiness of God. But, but, but if you think about Genesis and Exodus, Numbers, even good portions of Deuteronomy, they're not just rules and laws in the way that we think of laws. What are they? They are the unfolding of God's story. They are the encapsulation of God's promises. They give us the plan of God, the promised salvation coming to the world from God. Yes, there are rules and laws in those books, but those, rule, those books, they are the sum and substance of the supernatural revelation of God. So the point is not that if you are a blessed man, you avoid evil and love a bunch of rules all the time. You're just rulesy. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that the blessed man is not shaped by the evil influences of the world, but is shaped by the perfect word of God, including God's perfect standards for how we think and how we live. Blessed People love the Bible. Do you get that? That's the point being made. So ask yourself, do you delight in the word of God? Do you spend time in the scriptures? Do you read the word of God with joy? Do you discipline yourself to take in the word, to study the word, to meditate on the word, and to let yourself be shaped by the word? See, those are the keys to being a blessed person, and they're very important. So again, just like in the first point, take a moment right now and ask God, Lord, how do you want me to be committed to your word? Ask God how he wants you to be committed to his word in your particular situation. 
Maybe, maybe you need to read the Bible through in a year. How many of you have done that before? One year, full Bible. Not a bad thing, right? How many of you like never done that? That sounds scary. It's not a bad thing to do. Maybe you need to make a plan for daily meditation. Every day, I'm going to get up half an hour earlier than I used to, open the Word, and think about it, and pray through it, and write about it. Maybe you need to make a plan to memorize Scripture. Maybe you need to, to, like I said, journal a little bit. Maybe you need to get together with other believers who can benefit from the glorious Word of God as you guys read it together. Maybe you need to subscribe to a podcast that's filled with quality Bible teaching. Be careful, by the way. I'd love to tell you some to, to go to and some to avoid. But the idea here, guys, would be find a plan to get yourself into the Word that works for you and ask God to help you stick to that plan. Make it, make it important. How important should your reading of the Word of God be? As important as your job? As important as eating? Job 23.12, Job says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Here's a verse to memorize. Delight in the word of God. Love it. Treasure it. The one who does this, that is the man or the woman who is blessed. Now, Let's go forward and see the difference between the person who loves God's word and the one who doesn't. Third point. Ready for three? Find stability in the word of God. Find stability in the word of God. Let's do three and four. He, that blessed person, like a tree, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. We have two verses here, and we have a very clear contrast between the two kinds of people in the psalm, right? The one who delights in the word of God, the blessed person, he is considered to be like a tree. The person who is not under the blessing of God, shown by the fact that they do not love the word of God, that person is compared to chaff. So, let's look at the blessed person, right? The simile here is that a blessed, Bible-loving follower of God is like a tree. Don't care what kind of tree, we just know it bears fruit. This person is like a, a tree Firmly planted near streams of water. The tree has been placed where it can stand strong and let its roots go down deep and it can flourish. Now, interestingly here, the word that's, that's there given you as planted could mean transplanted. Doesn't that make a great picture of what has happened to every single believer? You and I didn't start off good. None of us is good but God chose by God's grace to grab us and dig us up out of our old lives and transplant us into his garden. And then he chose, he, he rescued us and he chose to allow us to thrive 
And that kind of kindness from God ought to make us very thankful, don't you think? Well, the person planted by God who delights in the word of God is going to grow and is going to be strong. Maybe that doesn't mean that we're always going to see success in everything we do, but we will, by the grace of God, stand and we will grow. We will have the kind of deep roots that help us be stable, even when the hard, ugly winds of life can blow. But sadly, there is another kind of person, and that's the wicked the contrast to the blessed person and these are people not rescued by God in fact these people are who all of us were before God rescued us the wicked is not like a tree the wicked person is compared to chaff now you all had a lot of fun with a Hebrew poetry lesson earlier right how about one on agriculture Because there's a lot of farmers in this room, I know. You got to understand a little bit about agriculture if you're going to understand this passage. You guys, even you who live in the desert, know that trees do better when they're planted where there's water, right? You with me? Good. All right. Well, how about, how many of you have thought much about how how grain goes from a field to your bread? I feel like I should do one of those Saturday morning cartoon songs like Conjunction Junction, but kind of show you how this happens. How many of you have even seen a wheat field? With your own eyes and not from pictures? Okay, just checking because, you know, y'all live in the part of the world I'm not from, so. Wheat in a field, there is a, a stem or stalk that grows up and then on top, there's a head of grain, and it grows in, in husks, right? The grain's not up there on top. It's covered. Farmers will harvest their grain. They will reap their grain by cutting those heads off the stalks, and they bring that to a place. In, the old, in, the, in, the, in Bible times, they bring it to what they called the threshing floor. It was a flat, hard surface, usually up on top of a hill. And you guys, again, you've seen many biblical passages of of people having times where they were threshing their grain. Well, at the threshing floor, a farmer could use different methods to try to separate the kernel of grain from the husk. So maybe they would put the grain on a hard ground and they would drive over it with a real heavy wheel to break the husk up. You ever try to shell a peanut? Right, you kind of squish it, and there's all that squishy, and then you're going to dig the peanut out from there. I'm sorry for any of you who are allergic to peanuts. I'm not trying to be offensive. But you, you get the idea, right? You, you, you do things to, to break the husk so you can get to the grain that's inside. That's what threshing is, by the way. Threshing is to break up the husk so you can get the grain free. So when the farmer has threshed the wheat... You've got a big pile on the ground now of loose kernels, but a whole bunch of the flakes and nastiness that, is, that were the husks that wouldn't be good for anything. So you have grain and chaff mixed together. Then what the farmer would do once he had separated it, though, is he would take a winnowing fork. You remember there's references to the winnowing fork in Luke uh, chapter 3 with John the Baptist talking to the, the soldiers, Right? You take a winnowing fork and you'd scoop it up and you would throw the grain and the chaff all up in the air. And the wind blowing on that hilltop 
would catch the chaff and blow it away and the kernels of grain would fall back down to the ground. And you would take your scoop and you would do that time and time again until only the grain was left. That's what winnowing is. Now, agriculture lesson aside for you who just checked out on me, why would you care about this? God says that a person who does not delight in the Lord, a person who does not make his standard and delight in the word of God, if you are not a Bible lover, the person not blessed by God is not like a strong, sturdy tree. A person who does not delight in the word of God is compared to chaff, the the husks of grain that are blown away and never seen Again, you don't want to be that person, right? You want a life that is strong and sturdy. You don't want to be compared to the leftover husks of the harvest. So how can we be sturdy and stable? Love God's word. That's the point all along, guys. Verse 1 said the person is blessed who is not blown about by the arguments of those who were opposed to God. Verse 2 tells us that the blessing of God is for the person who delights in the word of God and makes God's word and ways his or her meditation day and night. And when you are blessed by God and when it shows by the way that you love the word of God, the Lord makes you strong and steady. But when you don't love God and that lack of love for God is shown in a lack of loving his word and a lack of reading his word and a lack of studying his word and a lack of following his word and a lack of obeying his word, God compares you to chaff that is blown away so find your stability in the word of god then fourth point last point for this morning consider eternity consider eternity five and six therefore the wicked will not stand at the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the lord the lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the psalm is closing, and we see here more long-term consequences of loving or not loving God and His Word. Verse 5 begins by telling us that the wicked, those who don't care about the Word of God, they are not going to be able to stand at the judgment. They will not be included in the final gathering of those God who God calls righteous. God watches over those who are his. God loves those who love him by loving him and his word. But those who are not children of God, those who oppose God, those who ignore God, God says they will not stand. They will ultimately perish. And that final section here takes us beyond this life, doesn't it? This takes us beyond whether today is an easy day or a hard day. This verse calls us to set our minds, our eyes on forever. See, this life is not all that there is. You might have an easy life, good for you. You might have a hard life, I'm sorry. But the more important thing that you and I need to consider is forever. At the end of all things, Will you be able to stand before God and be received by God? Will you be shown to have been a true child of God? 
forgiven by Jesus Christ. And the answer to that question, according to Psalm number one, is somehow connected to how you have responded in your life to the word of God. So for one final moment here this morning, think about forever. God's word says God exists. God's word says God is perfect and holy in every way. God's word shows us that you and I are guilty of sinning before the perfect God. God's word tells us that God chose to send his son to earth to live a perfect life that we are all commanded to live and to die in our place as a perfect sacrifice satisfying the wrath of God for our sins. God's word says that Jesus, the son of God, rose from the grave and he is alive today. And God's word commands all people everywhere to turn from sin and come to Jesus to find God's mercy and God's grace. The Bible tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus in genuine faith has been saved and will be God's blessed child forever. So again, are you one of those blessed children? If you're not, consider eternity. Consider that you have to stand before God someday. How in the world will you be ready to meet your God? According to God's word, the only way for you to be ready to meet God, the only way for you to stand before God is for you to be covered by the grace of Jesus Christ. So I urge you, believe the word of God. Come to Jesus before it's too late. And then Christians... If you know you're a child of God, and many of you do, right? You know you're a child of God. What does the word of God have for you as you look toward the next year? Give God thanks. Love God for God's grace. And from this psalm, see that God has called you to love, to delight in, to live in accord with the word of God. Let your life be soaked in the word of God. Let your thoughts be the thoughts of God. Guard your mind against being influenced by the thinking and the attitudes that are not in the word of God. Let the scripture be your standard for truth in every single issue. No matter how loudly the world clamors against it, let the Bible be your standard. Love God, love his holy word, and God will call you blessed, and God will give you deep roots and a life that will thrive in his presence forever. Do you want the blessing of God in 2020? Then love God's Word, let everything you are be devoted to and shaped by the Word of God and the God of the Word. Let's pray together. Lord, my life is not my own. You've taught me that in your Word. Lord, my thinking is not strong on its own. You've taught me that in your word. Lord, here you have gathered your church together. Many people from so many backgrounds and so many places with so many personalities, so many likes, so many dislikes, 
God, you've given all of us your holy word. We would pray right now, God. We would pray that you would draw us more deeply to your word in 2020 than we've ever been drawn to it before. Make it our standard. Make it our delight. Make it more important than our daily food. Help us to be a people of your book. God, if anyone here doesn't know you, I pray they will come to know you. If anyone here needs to follow you in obedience, whether it's to baptism or church membership or some other rep- some repentance, I pray you help us do it. And I pray, God, that this church will be known as a church that strongly lifts high your holy word. That's our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen.